0: Thank you for tuning in. I have a Missing Link member with me today for a Q&A session. I'm a firm believer that if someone with MS has a question, there's probably tons of other MSers that have the same question. They just haven't voiced it to me. So these Q&A sessions give me an opportunity to answer some burning questions from the MS community. Today, I have Carissa, a Missing Link member, whose MS has affected her walking. And today on this episode, we talk about cold intolerance, MS-specific physical therapy versus orthopedic PT, and new therapies in clinical trials. Carissa, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, I'm really excited to be here, Gretchen. Yeah, I'm excited too. And actually, one thing that our listeners would know is that you live in Massachusetts, which is one of the three states that I'm licensed in as a physical therapist. So the last time that I was in the Boston area, you and I actually got to work together in person, which was such a cool experience because we know each other virtually as well. But to work together in person and see how you're moving, see what your muscles are doing was such a cool experience. Yeah, it continues to be amazing for me. And anybody that hasn't
1: ever met you, if if you have the opportunity, it's life-changing. It's life-changing to have Dr. Gretchen watch you even walk across the room. She caught things with me that I've been doing for years that I'm now working on correcting. And
0: it's changing things dramatically. Awesome. So happy to hear that. So we're going to get into a Q&A session where I'm going to answer some of the questions that you have. Before we do that, I would love to ask you a question from my interview deck to help our listeners get to know you a little more on a personal level. Is that okay with you? Oh, sure. Go ahead. All right. So your question is... Oh God.
1: <laughs> I'm a little scared, but, I, uh, but I'm ready for it.
0: Some of these are really random. So your question is, what is one thing people buy that you think is a total waste of money? Water. And I say
1: that because
0: I'm a big fan of...
1: Drinking water from the municipal source in my town and in my community and also the amount of plastic waste makes me cringe. So that's one thing. That's a great answer.
0: I don't know that I would have thought of that. It's a good one. All right. So we're going to get to your questions. Before we do, can you just give our listeners an idea of who you are, how your MS has affected you, kind of what you've been doing up until now?
1: Sure. So I'm trying to think about where I should start. My father had chronic progressive MS my entire life. I don't have a memory of him without it. And I was born in 1968. I was a birth child to my, to my father and my mother. So it was present throughout my life from early childhood. Fast forward to 1995, I got married in Washington, D.C., and my new husband and I took off to Europe for our honeymoon. We spent two weeks traveling and we returned to Washington, D.C. And I said to my new husband, I said, honey, something is not right. My right hand, I couldn't feel it. And there were a couple other things that were just not right with my body. And we went off to GW Hospital. And that's when I was diagnosed with PPMS, And that was 1995, June during the Wimbledon tennis tournament. I distinctly remember that because we sat in the hospital room and watched. So that happened to me. I always have had a suspicion that it was a diagnosis that the neurologists glommed onto the minute I opened my mouth and told them about my father. And my father's disease was a nightmare. There were no meds or anything. And he just continually went down his entire life. So 1995, I'm diagnosed. I'm a recently graduated engineer with my master's in engineering and about to start my first real job. I don't know what that means, real job or whatever, (laughs) engineering job in the world. And so I'll say it, I decided to ignore it. I found a neurologist who I trusted in Washington, D.C., went to him when it was required, every six months or whatever, but for the most part, ignored the diagnosis and went on my life as if nothing was going on. I had a child in 2000. Nothing changed. I adopted my second child in 2005 you know, obviously I was tired, but physically nothing changed. I continued to ignore it. No one I knew besides my husband knew that I had MS, none of my friends. We relocated up here to New England to be closer to our extended family around 2000 when my first child was born. And still I continued to work. I had a number of different engineering jobs. And then in 2018, Was when my older daughter graduated from high school. So, all these, this is how I remember it, all these major things happened in my life. My daughter, who is my best friend, graduated from high school and was getting ready to go off to college. And then there was a number of other, you know, momentous things. I think I changed jobs and we moved. So, there was a huge number of different things. And so, I started to notice that my walking was being affected. And so I was having foot drop. I didn't know what that was at that time because I had spent the past however many years ignoring my MS, but I had problems walking. I had tripped a couple times. I broke my finger when I was walking my dog once. So then I went to my neurologist. Still, I was only going every six months. So it happened to be the time. And he had put me on Ocrevus. And so I was on Okravis at the time. And he sat me down and he said to me, I think you've transitioned to secondary progressive. And I looked at him. I looked at him in the eye. And if you could see me, if this wasn't just a podcast, I gave him like the death glare. And I said to him, Doctor, I said, if you say those words when I'm in your office ever again, I will walk out and never speak to you again because I refuse to admit that that will be my fate or diagnosis. I'm sorry if that could be a bad word, but I did say those exact words to him. And this was in 2018. And he has not repeated that ever again. I think he must have written it in bold bold letters in my, um, (laughs) in my file, probably because I was really serious. So then in 2018, I knew something was wrong and I was having problems getting around my house. We were in like a townhouse type situation where there were lots of stairs. I was like, Oh, and I was tripping and I hooked up with a woman that I went to high school with in Massachusetts and I graduated high school in 1986. So I hadn't spoken to her a while, but I knew that she had MS. So I re-hooked up with her and I said, what are you doing? And she told me about HSCT, which is chemotherapy-based stem cell treatment, which in 2018 was only done internationally. She told me about her experience. She had very severe secondary progressive, and her mobility was extremely limited at that time. She was my age, obviously, since we went to high school together, but she was in a wheelchair and she told me, I did this and it halted the progression of my MS. And we had many, many conversations on the phone. There were tears she was a wealth of knowledge because she knew all about it. I called the clinic in Mexico and went a few months later because I decided I wasn't going to live my life wondering when I wasn't going to be able to walk to the mailbox or do my yoga, which I do every day. I'm like a yoga fanatic or do cardio exercises I needed to have more debility in my life as far as my health went. And I knew it was a risk and it wasn't guaranteed, but I had to do everything I possibly could. So my then 21-year-old daughter, who was on homeschooling from college because of COVID, said, mom, I'll go with you. We booked it. We got on a plane and we went to Mexico during the height of COVID so that I could have a stem cell transplant. And that was my stem cell birthday is December 6th, 2020. That means that my new stem cells were put into my body on that day. So they say that I'm now 18 months post HSCT. I'm still in recovery. I feel fabulous most of the time. And I am forever grateful to those doctors. And of course, to my daughter for the fact that she took the time and made the trip with me. It was amazing. So now I am home. Obviously, we all know how COVID has been. Where I live, things are just opening up. I went back to work. I work half time at the office and half time at home now. I went back to work in January 2022 before I had been working from home exclusively because my office wasn't open because of COVID. Now I go in two days a week and I work out every single day because Dr. Gretchen and many other people remind me often that if you don't move it, you're going to lose it. So even on the days I wake up and I'm tired because I did too many things over the weekend or whatever, I remind myself of that. And I at least do a quiet yoga practice or a slow bike ride or walk the dogs through the woods or something, because I know that's going to be my life now. I have to always move my body and being tired is not an excuse for me. And I've also, since I've been back in the States, resumed my, I would say, very strict diet where I'm not eating dairy or gluten, and I'm currently not eating legumes. I'm on the fence about that, but that's something that I do. So that's where I am.
0: Yeah. And it's so nice to hear where you're at, what you've been doing, because it's so different for everyone, especially just lightly touching on nutrition. Everyone's gut is different and responds different. Same with exercise, but I do agree. Movement is key. And you and I have talked on the side about how there is a difference between general movement and functional movement, MS-specific movement and neuroplasticity. And you're doing all of it you're finding just general movement patterns as well as the ms specific so what questions do you have for me that i can answer for you today
1: first of all i want to thank you for teaching me about the functional movement and all that like i don't even sit and watch tv without doing ankle dorsiflexion now because <laughs> i am convinced that's the key to keeping me from
0: tripping when i'm walking right so- one thing that's great about the functional exercises. is is that you can do them throughout the day when you're watching TV, when you're texting someone. So that's good to hear that you're implementing it, not just at one point throughout your day, but multiple points.
1: Well, the other thing that I would like to share with the audience is something you shared with me, and it has to do with research that was done that it doesn't matter when you do your exercise. You can do it morning, noon, and night, or night, or you can do a little bit every time, So that's something else. That's why I do the dorsiflexion, you know, different times during the day,
0: which is unique because back when I first became an MS specialist, which was about six and a half years ago. Now there was still research then saying that exercising all at once was most effective, but now really over the last four and a half years or so, there's way more research showing that exercising all at once is just as effective as exercising throughout the day. My personal opinion, so this is not in research, but my personal opinion, as you know, is that if you do them throughout the day, you're reminding your brain often throughout the day, how you want it to be working. So I do have a personal preference of doing them throughout the day for that reason. You don't want to notice improved strength, but only at 10 a.m. when you do your exercise routine, you want that improved strength throughout the day. So I like that you're incorporating that. So one thing, and we've only touched upon this, and it might be a thing
1: that we have to come back to. Last night, I was on a call with a bunch of other people, and we were commenting that cold weather, for some of us, not for everyone, obviously, really makes our leg muscles stiffen up. So for instance, I think I told you this maybe offline, but one of the things I've done recently is changed my parking spot at my office. So I'm moving away from the door. So I walk further from where I park to my office. But the thing is for me, like today it's 30 degrees here where I live and it'll be that way tomorrow. And that makes my legs totally freeze up the minute I step out of the car. So any recommendations on that would be appreciated, I think, by a number of people.
0: Yes. And I'm glad you're asking that because it's not talked about often enough. What I'm sure everyone has heard of is heat intolerance when your symptoms worsen when you're overheating, but the same can happen in cold temperatures and it's called cold intolerance. I've heard some neurologists say that that's not a thing. And I've heard other neurologists say, no, yeah, it is a thing, but there's less research on it. I'll say it is absolutely a thing. I can't tell you how many clients I work with that have some symptoms worsen with cold. And it could be the temperature outside. It could be a cold shower. It could be anything. So my best tip for this is that the first thing you should do is warm up your core temperature. So that often means sipping something hot. Like my favorite suggestion is hot water. So the reason that symptoms are occurring is because your core temperature has dropped. So if we can increase your core temperature or at least maintain your core temperature, that should either prevent any of these symptoms from happening or in the very least reduce them. So you might still feel some spasticity or tightness, but it wouldn't impact you as severely. So my favorite thing is sipping some hot water. Obviously, you don't want to burn your tongue or anything, but, you know, sip some hot water. Another thing is really bundling up, overly so. And if you have a long drive to work, wear what you need to in the car, but before you get out, put two or three more layers on. So you're taking those proactive measures to ideally reduce the effects of cold intolerance. And, you know, that's the opposite of heat intolerance. With heat intolerance, you'd want to cool your core temperature down. So thinking about it in that way, can make it feel a little bit easier to manage.
1: Well, thank you. That is a good way to think about it. I'll try it, sipping hot water on my way to work. So then when I hop out of the car to walk to the door, it will maybe not be as painful. But that's also really interesting to me that the neurologists believe the patients about heat tolerance, but they don't listen to them about cold.
0: Right. I don't know why. I think there's some neurologists that only believe what is in research. And if it hasn't been researched, at least not extensively, then there's no proof to say, yep, this is a symptom, but that's just crazy to me. Another way to increase your core temperature pretty quickly. And especially in the case of when you're driving is to move your muscles more. So once you're parked, once you're at work, go ahead and do some toe lifts, some marching, some leg kicks. You don't have a whole lot of space in your car, but just minimal movement, even doing the ankle dorsiflexion, as you mentioned earlier, just lifting your ankle a few centimeters, trying to straighten your knee and bend your knee just a few centimeters. Any movement will warm up your muscles and warm up your core temperature. And again, if you've been driving for 10 minutes, that's 10 minutes that your legs weren't moving at all. So they were cooling down. So That's another thing that you could do to increase your core temperature.
1: Great ideas. Thank you. I guess another question that I have for you, and I know I even email you and ask you stuff all the time, (laughs) has to do more with, like, if I were to ask you what the one latest finding in MS research is, what would you say? Like, latest as far as, like, today is March 28th, 2022.
0: Yeah. So great question. So I've recently been nerding out on remyelination and BTK inhibitors. Have you heard of BTK inhibitors? No, I
1: don't. I don't know what it stands for.
0: Okay. So it stands for Bruton's tyrosine kinase, BTK. And this is still in clinical trial, but it is a completely new class of medication. And it is going to be a disease modifying therapy for MS. But the reason that it's so cool is because it's completely different than any other DMT. The reason for that is that the BTK inhibitors can penetrate through the central nervous system. So it can actually go into your brain, into your spinal cord, whereas these other medications cannot. So that's a huge, huge difference. In addition to that, the thought is that they will slow the progression of MS, just like any other disease modifying therapy, but they also feel that it will create a better micro environment in our brain, which is something that we need in order to make more myelin. So if there is a remyelination therapy, medication, something in the near future, or really at any point in the future, it will only work if our brains have a good micro environment. I like to think of it as if you were trying to grow a plant in the desert, it's just not going to grow. Like You can bring <laughs> as much water as you want with you. You can bring as much soil. You can bring a little bit of shade, but it's just not going to grow. A desert is not conducive to growing any type of plant. And the same as with our brain, if you have something, a therapy that makes more myelin, but the environment is just killing it, then it's not going to be effective. So the BTK inhibitor is one thing they're finding in these clinical trials is that it creates a better microenvironment in our brain so that when we do have something, and remyelination is also heavily being tested right now, so there's updates there, but these BTK inhibitors kind of duo as a disease-modifying therapy and prepping us to have a good environment for remyelination. There's three of them that are being tested right now. One is fenabrutinib. One is tolebrutinib and evobrutinib.
1: I am not going to even try to write that down.
0: <laughs> I'll email you, Leah. My so. question
1: is when you say, I had a couple questions after what you said. One's going to be a general question about that. When you say they're in clinical trials, are they trialing it on people, humans, Nate, yet?
0: They are. Yeah. They and are. The cool thing about another cool thing, I've said multiple, but one cool thing about the BTK inhibitors. It was found to be so effective that it immediately went to a phase three trial. Oh. So it was phase one and it just jumped to phase three. So, at least with these three medications. So, yes, they are currently testing in people. So, if you go to clinicaltrials.gov yeah. or wherever you find out about clinical trials, you can type in BTK or one of the names of the medications that I mentioned and see if there's anything near you.
1: Cool. The other question I have for people like me who have had MS for ages, I have some residual damage that I'm working on fixing, but how does the BTK inhibitors work with like old damage?
0: Yeah. So another unique thing about the BTK inhibitors is that they are testing in relapsing remitting MS, but also progressive MS and to my knowledge what i've been seeing is that it's likely going to be advertised especially for people with progressive ms so there's i think it's called the hercules studies i think i'm getting that right that's the one where they're only accepting people with progressive so that tells me that these clinical researchers feel that it will be helpful for people with progressive ms who do have prior damage to their brain and spinal cord so they'll be able to
1: fix like holes that you had before. And maybe, I mean, I'm not making you put words into your mouth.
0: Right. That's a good question. I don't know exactly the mechanism. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if it would be fixed. I feel like that would be too good to be true. Yeah. That's kind of what I, (laughs) why I was asking you, like, it, it would be great to stop or
1: slow the progression. I haven't heard of anything that can fix historical damage at all.
0: Well, yeah, I haven't either. That is where remyelination would come in. And I actually have a whole podcast episode on remyelination. So if you're listening, definitely go back and check that one out. But yeah, there are many advancements in remyelination, not yet testing in humans. It's still in mice and cats, but researchers have found that they are able to create new myelin in cats and in mice. And the myelin is thinner on a cellular level, but it's still thick enough where it's functional. So I believe it was maybe in both cats and mice. They specifically used cats and mice that did not have vision due to optic nerve demyelination. They were able to remyelinate and their vision was back. So that's really promising. Of course, we now need to transfer that to humans, but that's in the works. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I didn't know about that. That's really exciting.
0: It is. Yeah. And I definitely know, I've been talking about BTK inhibitors really since October that I went to the annual MS conference and that's where I learned about it. And there are some neurologists out there who haven't heard of it. So anyone listening, I would encourage you, if this is the first time you're hearing of it, let your other doctors know. If anything, you can put it on their radar so that if they do hear anything, they'll let you know.
1: That's really exciting. And it's I hope for me personally that the HSCT has stopped my progression, but I'm always very interested to know what they're doing out there in research world, because I think there's a lot to be learned. One thing that's always been challenging for me when I speak about MS, and I'm wondering a little bit about your experience being a doctor of physical therapy and treating so many patients, that it's a disease that so varies patient to patient. It's not like almost any other disease, where if you're an expert in it, you walk in and you know exactly what you're going to see. Whereas Dr. Gretchen, when you go in to see a patient, you could see someone that can't do a myriad of different things. So that has always made it hard for me to speak of because someone will say to me, oh yeah, my third cousin has MS and they just ran a marathon.
0: Yes. You know, that kind of
1: thing. I would imagine for you, it makes your job even harder.
0: Yes and no. I always have said the reason that I love working with people who have MS is because it is so varied. And as a PT, that makes me have to brainstorm. And I love being creative and trying to find different ways or different exercises for each individual person. But it is challenging because everyone is so different. But not only that, the same person can be different on Monday compared to Wednesday or Friday, you know, or even within the same day. So I think the thing that makes me a good MS specific physical therapist, as well as anyone else out there are two things. First, the background, like the knowledge you need to know neuroplasticity and how to exercise to get neuroplasticity to work for you. But number two, and I think this is the place where a lot of people miss the boat is being a good listener, because if I didn't listen to the individual symptoms that someone was experiencing that day, then it would be just a regular protocol for every person. Like you have MS, here you go, do that. But listening and and looking and making sure you can really identify where is the weakness coming from today? It might be different than tomorrow. So being able to listen to what's going on, see what's going on, and then prescribe different exercises for that specific day and symptom that you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense because also in my very long history and my desire to always be moving, I went to quite a number of, I'm just going to call them traditional physical therapists. This, what happened to me when I called them and told them I had MS, they're like, oh yeah, we've treated however many. But when I show up there, they didn't have a clue what to do with me.
0: Right. So That's important. One thing, if anyone out there is looking to go to an MS certified physical therapist, there are some websites online. You can go to the MS Society. You can go to the Consortium of MS Centers website and see if there's one near you. However, another thing you can do is just call the people near you, but there's two things that you should be asking them. Number one, do you have an MS certified specialist? As Chris experienced, even if someone's treated MS, they could have treated them in an orthopedic way. It does not mean that they know multiple sclerosis and that they know how it's different from traditional physical therapy. So that's the first thing is, do you have an MS certified specialist? Now, the second thing to ask, because it's actually very rare to be a PT and an MS certified specialist. When I was in Massachusetts, which was two years ago now, so I'm sure this number is different. There are only four of us in the entire state that were also MS certified specialists. So the second question you can ask is, Do you have a neuro certified specialist or NCS? Those would be the uh, initials after their name. That would be the second best. They are a physical therapist who's certified in all neuro, but that's better than someone who is just certified in traditional or orthopedic physical therapy.
1: That's very good advice. And I wish I had had that 10 years or 15 years ago before I found you when you were still in Massachusetts, because I think it's really important that they know a lot of those things. So, thank you for that. And thank you for knowing all these things about MS and teaching us how to move better. Um, Of course. Well, I think that is the end of my questions for today. Oh, you know, I did have one other question. And I do think you've touched upon it a little bit in some of your videos, but I think it's important to reiterate it. So one of my MS symptoms is, like I said, I am a fanatic about working out but there are times when I'll overdo it. So how do you advise your clients on balancing what they need to do and not going overboard so they like end up having to spend, you know, 15 minutes sitting down, catching their breath and stopping sweat or whatever? You
0: know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really great question. The best thing that you can do, and this takes a while, so it is tedious, but the best thing that you can do is track exactly what you're doing not just which exercises you're doing but how many repetitions did you do when did you take rest breaks because there's so many different ways that you can modify a plan that caused you extra fatigue or you could just tell in some way shape or form that you overdid it so if you know what you did then let's say you did 10 exercises and you did two sets of each of them and maybe it was a total of 45 minutes Well, if after that day you felt just out of it, it was way too much. Maybe you do the same thing, but stop at 40 minutes instead or 35 minutes or 30 minutes. So one way that you can modify it is just the length, the duration of the time that you're moving or exercising. But another way, maybe you keep the 45 minutes, but you take more rest breaks in between, or you keep the 45 minutes, but you just go slower. So it's the same exercises. You're just taking your time. And then the third way would be to simply just do less. Don't do the 10 exercises, maybe do five. And you can try three sets of those. So there's lots of ways to modify. One, do less. Don't do as many exercises. Number two would be to reduce the duration. So maybe you just do one set instead of two. And then the third one being take more rest breaks go slower so those are usually the three ways that i modify yeah well that's extremely helpful because
1: although i have to agree with you that doing all that and recording everything does take a lot of time and sometimes i'm not hundred percent patient but so thanks for adding that in there doesn't mean <laughs> i shouldn't do it it just means sometimes yeah. i might overlook that
0: and usually you just need to do that one time like it might take a few weeks But once you found something that works, you can just stick to that. So it's not something that you need to do every time for the rest of your life. But, you know, try that out. See if you can find something that works for you and then just stick with that moving forward. Thank
1: you. And I also just I want to reiterate something else. When you and I met last time and you watched me and you said something about my knee lock when you were observing my walking, that has been something that people from yoga teachers to other physical therapists to trainers have told me for years, and I've just been too stubborn and lazy to fix it. But now I finally realize decades later that it needs to be fixed in order for me to walk better. And I thank you for bringing that up again at the correct time for me.
0: Oh, You're good. I'm glad. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, and can you touch on your experience in The Missing Link so far? How has it helped mm-hmm. you? And, and what are your your views as part of our community?
1: I have found it extremely helpful. For instance, when I started out and I knew I needed to fix something and I couldn't figure out exactly how to do it, I could just email you or one of your team. and within the day, I would get a reply and pointing me to where I should look to learn how to do the exercise to address a specific problem. And because you showed me where there's so many different exercises and they're all demonstrated online, that's been priceless. Like I tell you that I do ankle dorsiflexion all the time and not just because that's number one on the list, just because I can't stand to have my foot drop. But so that's one thing. I never feel like a question that I have about my treatment or my exercises goes unheard of. The other thing I also want to point out that I've done, you know, I'm doing like a lot of things at once besides working and stuff, but I try to at least once a week look at one of your historic podcasts or videos, you know, when I have a spare hour or whatever. And there's been a number of practitioners who you've interviewed that have inspired me, like Matthew Embry, really inspired me to get back on my diet and stop eating gluten and stop being lazy. I mean, it's not like I was sitting around eating bonbons, but I definitely was eating a piece of sourdough with my breakfast instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, taking the, so he did a lot to inspire me to get back on that bandwagon. So I thank you for that. So I find a lot of the things that you post and every once in a while you point people towards certain things and I'll just take Mm -hmm. a look.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And those are the guest speakers. We have a guest speaker. Yeah. (laughs) So we have one once a month and you can join live if it works for your lifestyle and your day, but they are all recorded. So I'm glad to hear that you're watching those. Thank you so much for these questions. I think they were so great and things that a lot of people are probably wondering. So I appreciate you asking me and thanks for being here today.
1: Well, thanks for having me and have a great rest of your day. And I thank you for every little thing, because I think you know more about MS and moving bodies than anybody I've ever met in my life besides <laughs> oh, well, me, probably because I live in that body, but right,
0: you
1: know, <laughs> this is a function of the beast.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Gretchen. Yes. Thank you. If you enjoyed the content from today and you're interested in staying up to date in other areas of MS research as well as MS-specific exercises, then you should consider checking out my online MS wellness program, The Missing Link. It's filled with tons of MS-specific exercises to help with mobility, strength, and activities like stair climbing, getting in and out of your car, standing up from the floor, you name it. In addition to the exercises, you can access to top MS experts like Dr. Aaron Boster, David Baker, Matt Embry, Terry Walls, and so many more answering your questions and giving updates in their field of expertise. If you want more information, go to missinglink.com spelled M-S-I-N-G link.com or check the show notes for a behind the scenes look into the program and even an opportunity to join a zoom call with me where I will show you the program and we can chat to see if it would be a good fit for you and your goals.